Welcome everybody to the latest edition of the Pound for Pound podcast here on the Fight Game Media Network. This is your host, the OG Rob Silver. And by the way, the OG stands for the original great Rob Silver. Because many, many years ago, about a decade now I believe, I believe I met Garrett online, uh, Garrett Gonzalez, the CEO of Fight Game Media. Believe I met him 10 years ago and when I started writing articles for the fightgamemedia.com website because of my incredible knowledge of boxing one of the one of the four four most boxing historians on the planet Gary began to call me the great Robert Silver so now I put the O in front and I'm the original great Robert Silver and for those of you interested there is a link in the description of this podcast I do a bonus Patreon podcast This year I've been running down The greatest upsets in boxing history I've done seven so far I'm going to do three more And also Garrett and I reviewed The controversial Hulu series On Mike Tyson There are four episodes Of that available on the Patreon As far as the Greatest upset series goes The seven that I've done so far Junior Jones Knockout of Marco Antonio Barrera Haseem Rockman's knockout Of Lennox Lewis Lloyd Hunnigan Battering in a huge upset of Donald Curry Esteban De Jesus shocking upset Of Roberto Duran Iran Barkley's Shocking knockout Of Thomas Hearns so those are some of the fights that we cover on the greatest upsets in boxing history. Seven total altogether. Now, on to Saturday's incredible, incredible lineup of boxing. And, you know, it was a huge day in boxing on Saturday. But I think it would have made sense if one or two of these cards would have been sent and rescheduled for next week because next week there are no significant fights. So, ladies and gentlemen, send your questions to me at hashtag AskRobSilver because next week's episode is going to be a huge Q&A session because right now there, there, there won't be any fights for me to recap. There are no fights for me to make a prediction. So, right now, let's get into Saturday night. First and foremost, the ladies. In the history of boxing, no female boxer have, have had the skills that Clarissa, Clarissa Shields had. Clarissa Shields is the Floyd Mayweather of women's boxing. And Saturday afternoon here in New York, nighttime in, in Great Britain, Clarissa Shields put on a beautiful display of boxing, Counter punching and and she won an, on my scorecard seven of the ten rounds to beat Michaela Mike Meyer. Now, I mean, I'm sorry, Savannah Marshall. Now, Savannah Marshall has always been overrated in my 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 view. She has no defense whatsoever. She's a lot like a Jared Hurd, a Sebastian Fedora, or what's the guy? Many many years ago, oh god damn! Um, 
Antonio Margarito, where she's so much bigger than her opponents that she bullies them and wears them down by attacking. You can't do that against Clarissa Shields. And you cannot beat Clarissa Shields if you're defensively flawed. Marshall has a great chin. Shields hit her with every punch in the book. Shields landed some beautiful body digs to win a unanimous 10-round decision. And to continue her cl- continue her claim to being the greatest female boxer of all time. Earlier on the night, Alicia Bob Garner, also from Michigan, Clarissa Shields being from Flint, Michigan, Alicia Bob Garner, trained by Detroit's own super bad Tony Harrison. Tony Harrison father was originally Alicia's trainer after he passed. Tony took over the reins and ladies and gentlemen, Tony Harrison has a huge future as a legendary trainer. And Alicia Baumgartner is his first charge, his first world champion. Alicia Baumgartner took on Mikayla Meyer, who has been, she has been pushed to the moon throughout her entire career and was a significant favorite going into Saturday's fight. Alicia Bob Gartner fought a brilliant fight. It was a tough fight. Both both fighters had their their uh moments. I had it dead even after six rounds. And be, between round six and seven, in the corner, Tony Super Bad Harrison laid into Alicia Bob Gartner. Told her that she was blowing it, and Bob Gartner went on on my scorecard to sweep the last four rounds. To win 97-93 on my scorecard And she wound up winning By split decision Now There were a lot of close rounds There were a lot Especially the first The, the entire fight There was very close rounds there, Maybe two or three rounds In the entire fight Were clear cut So it's what, it's what you wanted It's what you as a Boxing fan Like the most That you like uh, McKay uh, 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 Alicia Baumgartner's um, Aggressiveness And and ring generalship, or do you like Amaya with the constant pressure? And and um, it was up to what you like. I went with Alicia Baumgartner, and I'm glad the right woman won for a change. Makayla Meyer, for some fucking reason, was so upset with the decision she walked out the fucking building without shaking Alicia's hand. Come on now. Come on now. It wasn't a robbery. Why are you acting like this? This wasn't Pernell Whitaker versus Julio Cesar Chavez, right? Let's stop the bullshit. Alicia Bob Gardner, another fighter whose ceiling is limited. Um, they both made their their uh, hometowns in Michigan proud. Alicia from Detroit, Clarissa from Flint. Michigan continues continues not only in the men's side because I can go on for days talking about the legendary Michigan fighters that have fought throughout the history of boxing now they have one legend the greatest of all time in Clarissa Shields and they got a up and coming great in Alicia Baumgartner now on to the fight in Australia just like I predicted Devin Haney would totally dominate Cambosos. I had Devin winning 11 or 12 rounds, and he retains his undisputed lightweight championship. The only reason there was a rematch was because there was a rematch clause in the contract when Haney beat Cambosos last year. So 
Hopefully, that's that for Cambosis. Step out the way. Go away. Now, Haney looked sharp. He was throwing combination. He bloody Cambosos. If they fought 100 times, Haney would win by a, a huge decision 100 times. Now, what's next with Devin Haney? Probably Lomachenko. Lomachenko fights in two. Uh, when you hear this, it'll be the 19th. So in 10 days. Lomachenko will be fighting at, at the small arena in Master Square Garden, the Hulu Theater. And after that fight, if he wins, anything's possible. If he wins, I expect him to win. And I'll talk more about that fight next week when we preview it on the Pound for Pound podcast. Next week, we will talk about that fight. But he should win. And once that, once he gets done with his business in two weeks, look for Haney versus Lomachenko sometime in the spring for the undisputed lightweight championship of the world. And now to a fight that, uh, now to the fights that I attended Saturday night at the Barclay Center. First off, I want to uh, uh, thank one of one of my listeners and a uh, man. The dude is phenomenal as far as his boxing knowledge, and he's a cool, cool dude. My man Gritty from Detroit, now living in Texas. He and I hung out all night, watched the fights, and man, we had a ball. And ladies and gentlemen, the place was packed. I'm loving it. I went to see the Shakur Stevenson homecoming last month in Newark, and then I got to see Deontay Wilder's return this past Saturday night. And man, the atmosphere was was festive. Um. I met a couple of uh, of boxers, took pictures with Chris Ariola, and one of the best fighters out of Philadelphia in the last 10 years, and Stephen Coolboy Fulton. Um, it was a wonderful night, wonderful night, and I got to see Wilder's uh, incredible return. But before we talk about Wilder's return, Caleb Plant versus, no, before we talk about Caleb Plant, Let's talk about let's talk about uh Michelle Rivera. Michelle Rivera fought Jerry Perez and won a clear cut eight round decision. It's time for Rivera to stop facing trial horses and journeymen like Jerry Perez and start fighting real fighters at the hundred and thirty five pound division. Rivera's a PBC fighter, so he could fight the likes of Frank Martin, Isaac Cruz, or Tank Davis, or Raleigh Romero. He could fight any of those guys. It's time for him to step up and stop facing the Jerry Perez's of the world as he won an easy eight-round decision. Daniel, one of the most impressive performances of the weekend, right up there with Clarissa Shields, Deontay Wilder, and Caleb Plant, was Emmanuel Rodriguez who fought Gary Antonio Russell in a rematch from a fight that occurred in which both men headbutted each other and the fight had to be stopped in the first round. Well, you had another headbutt happen in this fight, but not before Emmanuel Rodriguez mopped the floor with Gary Antonio Russell. He landed that right cross all night long. Russell was a softball. Russell 
could not keep Rodriguez off of him. Rodriguez fought brilliantly, dropped Russell in the eighth round, and then with a beautiful right cross. And then late in the ninth round, they butted heads, and Rodriguez looked like he suffered a concussion. Rodriguez came out in the 10th round, but the referee stepped in, stopped the fight. Rodriguez won via technical decision, a much, much deserved victory. Great win for Emmanuel Rodriguez, who once Inouye puts Paul Butler in the hospital in December, becomes undisputed Bantamweight champion of the world, we... I believe, and a lot of media experts believe, that Inouye will move up to 122 and try and fight the dude I met Saturday night, Stephen Fulton, for Fulton's uh, portions of the 122-pound championship. And that would leave four uh, crime cartel organizations, the WBO, WBC, IBA, IBF, and WBA titles open, and Rodriguez definitely can fight for one of those vacant titles and become champion again. He lost his title to uh, Inouye about four years ago. He can easily get that title back. Emmanuel Rodriguez, one of the best fighters in the last 10 years coming out of Puerto Rico. Now we go on to the Caleb Plant fight. Caleb Plant versus Anthony Durrell. And this was a boring fight. Boring fight. For eight rounds. It was hideous to watch. And then in the ninth round. Durrell walked into a picture perfect left hook. By Plant. Ladies and gentlemen right now. This is my knockout of the year. Durrell crumpled. Referee didn't even bother having to count. Caleb Plant with a ninth round knockout. What does this mean for Caleb Plant? Well, Before I talk about Caleb Plant. It's time for Anthony Durrell to retire. There's nothing left for him. And that was a brutal knockout. Durrell will never be a world champion again. If Durrell continues to fight, he's only going to be can cannon father for Charlo when Charlo moves up or anybody else at 168. So time for him to retire. As far as Caleb Plant goes, I don't want to see him against Canelo in a rematch. I wouldn't be surprised if Canelo picked him to be his next opponent at 168. But I don't want to see that fight again because it's going to be the same result. Canelo's going to beat those arms, break down the bicep, and knock him out late. I don't want to see that fight. I would love to see Caleb Platt versus David Benavidez. If being that Canelo won't fight Benavidez right now, let's make Caleb Plant versus David Benavidez. And that could be a headliner for a, for a pay-per-view. We will see. And now on... To the main event of the evening Oh man I had I had great seats And I got to see Another spectacular one punch knockout Deontay Wilder versus Robert Hellenius I knew this was a brutal mismatch From the get go I had predicted a fifth round knockout by Wilder It was a first round knockout Late in the round Wilder was up against the ropes Hellenius walked into a right cross Down the middle boom into his nose Helenia's head bounced off the canvas like Anthony Durrell's head bounced off the canvas Canvas in the previous fight against Caleb Plant. No need to count. First round knockout for Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is back. 
and Deontay Wilder packed the Barclays Saturday night. Deontay Wilder, one of the biggest drawing cards in boxing, regardless of what the so-called boxing media tells you. I've been to two cards the last month. Shakur Stevenson, damn near sold out the Prudential Center. Deontay Wilder, damn near sold out the Barclays Center. Those guys are draws. And you know why they're draws? Because like Hispanic fans, black fans come out in droves to support black fighters, especially great black fighters. And that's what they did last month. That's what they did Saturday night. What's next for Deontay Wilder? I only want to see Wilder fight one or two guys. He'll probably fight Andy Ruiz, but I don't want to see that fight. I want to see Josh, um, Joshua fight Wilder or Usyk fight Wilder. Make that, make those fights happen, ladies and gentlemen. Please make those fights happen. No fights coming up this weekend. So next week, please, I'll say it again. Send your questions to Ask Rob Silver. Hashtag Ask Rob Silver. And I will answer them. Next week, we will have an extended Q&A session. Now. On to my 20th greatest fighter of the last 45 years article that I wrote, I believe, about seven months ago on the FightGameMedia.com website. And my 20th greatest fighter of the last 45 years is the single greatest Jamaican fighter that ever lived, and that is the body snatcher, Mike McCollum. And, and as I wrote, in the history of boxing, there aren't many legendary fighters more underrated than, than Jamaican native Mike McCollum. McCollum's ability to skillfully fight both inside and outside was rare. He was a master boxer who was also one of the greatest body punchers who ever lived. I will detail in full why McCollum is the best kept secret in the story, his, story history of the sport and the 20th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. After a tremendous amateur boxing career, which saw McCollum represent Jamaica at the 1976 Montreal Summer Olympics, McCollum turned pro at the age of 24 in 1981. McCollum won his first 21 fights to earn the WBA 154-pound number one ranking. The man who was a WBA champion at the time, the legendary Roberto Duran, decided to fight McCollum's cronk stablemate Thomas Hearns and be stripped of his title instead. When, when McCollum was unable to get a, a shot at Duran or a guarantee that he would fight the winner of the Hearns-Duran fight, he promptly fired his trainer and the head of the fabled Kronk gym, Emmanuel Stewart. Throughout the 1980s, McCollum was frustrated by his inability to secure a fight with the Fabulous Four. The Fabulous Four consisting, of course, of Thomas Hearns, Roberto Duran, Sugar Ray Leonard, and Marvin Hagler. He, McCollum was considered too high a risk for too low a reward. Duran made, made much more money in both his destruction at the hands of Hearns and his loss to Marvin Hagler. Hearns made much more money in his knockout of Duran and historic loss to Hagler. The same with Hagler, who made huge money in his defeats of both Hearns and Duran and his decision loss to Sugar Ray Leonard. 
Despite the fact that McCollum's fighting ability was on the level of the aforementioned legend, legendary quartet, he was completely shut out and getting both a huge payday and an opportunity to match skills against any of them. Instead, he concentrated on winning the WBA 154-pound title that was stripped from Duran. On October 19, 1984, at Madison Square Garden, McCollum put on a brilliant display of boxing as he batted Sean Mannion for the entire 15 rounds. When both fighters were inside, McCollum battered Mon Mannion's body while deftly slipping and blocking punches in return. When fighting outside, McCollum controlled the action with his tremendous left jab and punish punishing counterpunching. Despite winning a lopsided decision in front of a huge crowd at the Garden, McCollum received a paltry purse of $15,000. This made McCollum that much more hungrier in his pursuit of happiness. McCollum seemingly took out his frustration on two of Stewart's fighters, David Braxton and Milt, McC Milt McCrory. In both defenses of his WBA super welterweight crown against the Kronk fighters, McCollum punished both tall, lanky fighters to the body. Once he batted their bodies, he batted both of their faces with ripping combinations. Both men's faces looked as though a baseball bat had struck them several times. Neither fighter was ever the same. McCollum's two biggest wins during his 154-pound title reign occurred 11 months apart against two stylistically different fighters. On August 23, 1986, he defended against one of the greatest pure, pure power punchers in boxing history, Julian Jackson. McCollum showed his incredible boxing and counterpunching, resulting in a second-round stoppage of his dangerous foe. Then, in his sixth and final defense of his 154-pound title, McCollum faced the vaunted former undisputed World Welterweight Champion Donald Curry. Curry dominated the first four rounds by outboxing McCollum and deftly avoiding his counters. Then in the fifth round, Curry walked into one of the greatest left hooks ever landed inside a boxing ring. My father compared it to the left hook Sugar Ray Robinson knocked Gene Fulmer out 30 years old earlier. Immediately after the fight, McCollum moved up to 160 pounds. On March 15, 1988, the Jamaican great fought the Congolese WBA middleweight champion Sumbu Kalambay in Kalambay's adoptive homeland of Italy. As my father and I watched this fight on television, we both assumed that McCollum would, ever, would eventually catch Kalambay late in winning via late-round stoppage. What we failed to take into account that the, was that the WBA had reduced his championship fights from 15 rounds to 12 rounds. Bay got off to a fast start by utilizing the ring with constant movement. By the time McConnell was finally able to get some momentum, it was too late. Bay utilized the perfect game plan and handed McCollum his first career loss. The body snatcher was forced to start all over again at 160 pounds. McCollum would defeat three consecutive nondescript opponents before getting another crack at the 160-pound world title. Kalambay had, had been stripped unjustifiably by the WBA when he fought the IBF champion Michael Nunn in what was supposed to be a middleweight title unification. McCollum once again traveled to Europe to fight for the vacant WBA crown. On May 10, 1989, McCollum won a hard-fought 12-round split decision over Harold Graham in Graham's London backyard. Now 32 years old, McCollum would proceed to put on two of the greatest performances of his career while defending his middleweight championship. And uh, 
these were amazing performances. On February 3rd, 1990, McCollum fought Irish native Steve Collins in front of a predominantly Irish Boston crowd. The first half of the fight saw McCollum at, at his body punching and stalking best. Collins was another crafty boxer who McCollum had to stalk and break down. He was able to successfully get inside by utilizing his tremendous left jab. Collins was able to come on strong in the second half of the fight by actually becoming the aggressor and backing up the legendary Jamaican. Unfortunately, it was too little too late as McCollum had built a big enough lead to win via decision. Despite Hearns, Duran, and Leonard all still active fighters at this point in McCollum's career, he was still viewed as too big a risk for a low reward. Instead, McCollum continued to defend his middleweight crown against the best possible opposition he could find across the globe. On April 14, 1990, McCollum once again traveled to London to face hometown hero Michael Watson. In one of the single greatest performances my father and I both have ever seen, on television or in boxing, period, McCollum put on an amazing display of technical wizardry. The 33-year-old McCollum made the 25-year-old Watson look as though he was fighting in quicksand, as no matter what he did, he couldn't land anything effective or stave off the punishment McCollum was, was administering. Finally, in the 11th round, McCollum violently, violently knocked out Watson with a barrage of power shots. Watson would eventually fight two wars with fellow British rival Chris Eubank. The second fight saw Watson get brutally knocked out and as a result was comatose for 40 days. Watson is still alive despite having suffered severe brain injuries caused by his knockout losses to both McCollum and Eubank. After avenging his only professional loss to Colin Bay on April 1st, 1991 by a very close split decision, McCollum finally received the big fight he had been chasing his entire career. He signed to fight the IBF middleweight champion James Tony on December 19, 1991, 12 days after McCollum's 35th birthday. Tony was 23 and in the prime of what would become a little, an illustrious career. Once again, the corrupt WBA stripped McCollum, despite the fact that he was fighting the only other middleweight at that time who was great as him. The first six rounds showed both fighters displaying their plethora of skills. Both men landed their wicked left jabs and stinging right crosses. Tony, mas Tony masterly used his face and shoulders as defensive tools. McCollum, as I stated earlier, was one of the greatest body punches in boxing history, also utilized this important tool of his. I couldn't believe my eyes at how these two fighters were flowing against each other. Against each other. Such masters at the sport putting on an incredible fight and without going toe-to-toe -to -toe in brutal exchanges. Both fighters were landing and make each other, making each other miss by keeping their distance in the middle of the ring. Both fighters stepped it up a notch in the next two rounds, then began fighting inside and both landed their signature money punches. Tony's crackling right cross and McCollum's paralyzing hooks to the body. Even though they were exchanging more, it was both calculated and in control. Both men were still trying to defeat each other by applying their, skill, their skills to the fullest without a hint of desperation. Rounds 9 through 11 saw for the first time in the fight one of the fighters take control. Because Tony was 23 and McCollum had just turned 35, that seemed to be a huge factor in Tony having fresh legs and McCollum being noticeably tired during the final third of the fight. 
Tony landed several next snapping combinations, and McCollum was unable to avoid those shots. McCollum almost McCollum also missed many shots as Tony's defense was even better due to McCollum's fatigue setting in. The first eight rounds were extremely hard to score. The next three were all Tony. The 12th and final round saw Tony hurt McCollum for the first time with, with a ripping left hook. McCollum was seriously hurt and completely exhausted. Tony batted McCollum throughout the rest of the round and was on the verge of a knockout when the final bell sounded. Oddly enough, the fight was scored a draw. I know the first eight rounds were very difficult to score, but the last four were all Tony. The horrible decision was the only thing that marred an incredible display of boxing skills by both fighters. Tony would handily outbox McCollum in the rematch eight months later. The end of the line seemed to be near for McCollum. He proved his demise was premature as he moved up to 175 pounds. On July 23, 1994, the 37-year-old McCollum defeated the WBC light heavyweight champion Jeff Harding by completely outboxing the Aussie brawler over 12 rounds. McCollum's third world title reign would last only 11 months as he was as he was outpointed by the Frenchman Fabrice Tiozo on June 16, 1995. It was the first sign that my father and I had seen of age cap catching up to McCollum. McCollum would lose the final two fights of his career against Roy Jones and Tony. You can see both Jones and Tony restraining themselves from punishing McCollum as both boxed their way to lopsided victories. Finally, at the age of 40, the body puncher finally retired from the ring with a record of 49 wins, 5 defeats, 1 draw, and 36 wins by knockout. Mike McCollum, throughout his career, showed a plethora of skills both as an inside fighter and boxer at long range. He is on the short list as far as the greatest body punches in the history of the sport. Although, although he won titles in three weight classes, the true testament of his greatness was that none of the four kings of boxing, Leonard, Durant, Hagler, or Hearns, wanted to risk fighting such a dangerous opponent for minimal money. That fact alone justifies his ranking as the 20th greatest fighter of the last 45 years. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for uh, sitting through this program. As you can tell, I'm uh, um, under the weather. Hopefully, next week, I'll be back to my usual boisterous self. But until next week, be blessed and be a blessing.